Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer and this is episode 148. Update. I'm good. Now, <laughs> it was a bit of a rough week. And in other news, totally unrelated, I am back on the dating app. This time I've chosen Hinge. I think I've been on it before. I think I've been on just about all of them before. So um, after careful consideration and looking over what choices I have uh, for the dating apps, uh, stuff I would actually go on, I decided with, to go with Hinge. So if you are here, for the bad date content, stay tuned. I may have something for you soon. One of the reasons why I decided to go back on was because um, a while back, I started following an account on Instagram called A Little Nudge. And it is the a woman who her job or service that she provides is she works with people on dating apps. You hire her. She helps you curate and create your profile and then um, helps you to, you know, choose possible suitors. <laughs> suitors. Is this 1928? Um, and then, and then once you, if you get to the point where you're actually interacting with them, she will help you with that part as well. You know, anything like um, from setting up your profile all the way to what you should wear on your first date. So, the reason why I like this account so much is because the advice that she gives a lot of times, like she will post a question that one of her clients has asked and then her response to the question, the advice that she gives should be common sense, right? Like I read it and I'm like, oh my gosh, why? Of course, that makes perfect sense. Why would, you know, I, uh, how come I had to read it on here? How come I didn't know this for myself? Like, um, for example, someone wrote in that uh, it always makes them uncomfortable that when they first start speaking with someone on the dating apps, one of the questions they often get is, why are you on the dating app? You know, like, and, and they may say it in different ways, like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you look like a real catch. You know, I, I don't understand what, why you need this app or, you know, something like that. But it's hard to answer or, or maybe they'll say to you, um, you know, why are you single? What happened in your last relationship or something like that? It, it, it's a question that I have always felt is not something that you ask in the very beginning. I mean, this person is a stranger, right? I mean, yes, you are supposed to be asking sort of get to know you questions, but that always felt kind of personal to me. And I I struggled with how to answer it because you, know, you want to be honest. You don't necessarily want to lay out your entire relationship history, but you want to be honest. Um, so someone asked that and basically her response was to say to the person, I'm happy to talk about that, you know, if, if this progresses, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. But at this point, I'd really just like to get us to know each other one-on-one -on -one before bringing our past into it. And I thought that was such a great, straightforward, honest response. And I totally agreed with it. And I thought, oh, I got to remember that. 
But as I was reading through the comments, a lot of people disagreed with her because they were saying, you know, someone said that to them. For them, that would be a red flag. It would be kind of like a why, what are you hiding type of situation. But I, I guess I can see that too. But again, this isn't, you know, three or four dates in. This is your initial interactions. You know, I, I agreed with her. I, I think something like that is too soon. So as I'm saying, I, you know, followed this account for a while and I just thought, you know, with this account in my back pocket, maybe I'm ready to try again. So <laughs> we'll see. TV podcast recommendations. I do have a new podcast for this week. It is part of the uh, Wondery group of podcasts. It's called Exposed. It is about a Columbia University gynecologist who was accused of sexually abusing his patients. Now, as you can imagine, this one is hard to listen to, but it's good. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, survivors need to tell their stories. This isn't just about the scumbag Robert Haddon. It's also about his employer, Columbia University, and how they knew what was happening and did almost nothing about it. After several patients reported him, Columbia University did eventually put him on administrative leave, but then allowed him to come back and resume seeing patients. One patient's report against him happened on the very day he returned from that administrative leave. Yep, the podcast is six episodes long, each about 40 minutes. All episodes are out and available to binge now, although with this subject matter, you may want to give yourself some time between episodes. It gets going at the top of the first episode, just as a warning. So, you know, listener discretion, take care while listening, you know, all the things. This one is going to make you sick and piss you off. For TV, I started season two of Loki, which is back on Disney+. Plus. I love this series. I love Tom Hiddleston. And although I am not the biggest Owen Wilson fan, I like him in this too. So far, I've only watched the first two episodes, but it does pick up right where season one left off and so far so good. But, you know, I'm a little biased here. Y'all know I love a Marvel series. And when I haven't been watching my regular shows, I've been watching LawTube and kind of trying to catch up or keep up with all the craziness that is happening with the Alec Myrtle trial. Have you heard about this? It's insane. Oh, first of all, Yes, I said LawTube. I meant YouTube. LawTube is an area of YouTube where um, it's channels that are hosted by either current or former lawyers, and they sort of break down anything that's, you know, happening in the courts. It's kind of like court TV, but it is more entertaining. My personal favorite is Emily D. Baker. Her channel is great. She's the best. She breaks things down in a way that is very easy to understand. And she's got a really good personality too. I enjoy watching her. Anyway, back to Alec. Apparently, one of the jurors from the Alec Murdoch trial came forward after the trial and reported that the court clerk, Rebecca Hill, had tampered with the jury, doing things like 
telling them not to be quote unquote fooled by Alec when he testified, meeting separately and privately with the jury for a person and a bunch of other stuff that would be considered at the minimum completely inappropriate at the maximum illegal. Now, at this point, they are all allegations. Added to that is that Miss Becky Hill almost immediately released a book about her experience during the trial, which she self-published. And from the excerpts that I've seen, it's not great. The allegations are wild, and if true, will likely lead to a retrial for Alec. Uh, Most people are wondering if that means that he will get out of jail, but it seems that he has enough just from the financial crimes that he will likely spend the rest of his life behind bars. They're going to have a hearing on the allegations against um, Rebecca Hill. And of course, Emily Baker will be covering it. She already said she would, and I will be glued. And there is also another case that I've been following. This one is Corey Richens, who was accused of poisoning her husband, then after his death, writing a children's book about grief. And if that's not bad enough, recently a letter was found in her cell. On the envelope was written that it was, quote unquote, privileged, and it was addressed to her lawyer. Now, once they found the letter, of course, it's it's now available to read. It's everywhere. The press is referring to it as the walk the dog letter, because that's what was written in very large print at the top of the letter. In it, Richens appears to be telling her mom to talk to Corey's brother, feeding him a narrative that he will need to tell the court. Some reports say that the phrase walk the dog is a common phrase meaning to rehearse or walk through a plan. Now, I I don't know if that's true because I've actually never heard of a phrase walk the dog, but that's what Google said, so I'll just go with it. Richards is saying the letter was part of a fiction book that she is writing, but prosecutors are calling it witness tampering. Richens' lawyers are saying it was supposed to be privileged, should have never been released, and that it's not witness tampering because the letter never actually made it to her mother. Now, if you'd like to judge for yourself, like I said, the entire letter is available online. Just Google walk the dog letter. I'll warn you, it is a rambling mess, but if you want to read it, it is available. All right, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So like I said, last week was a tough week. I had one of those days where so much went wrong that I started to question every decision I've made for, I don't know, last four or five or 15 years. So it started with a misunderstanding disagreement with JJ. And that kind of took me back. And I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But then I had gotten an email from work that said that I had to renew my ID card. I don't really know why, because my current ID card is good until June of next year. But anyway, I got the email, said I needed to make an appointment to go to my local VA to, to get a new card. So it's exactly what I did. 
called Guy, set up the appointment, had made the appointment for Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. So Wednesday comes, I get up, I get ready. You know, I, I have to leave the house around 7 because traffic and Jacksonville or really any major city rush hour traffic especially is completely unpredictable so already leave the house a little after seven have my laptop with me have my ID badge you know ready to go get in the car try to start it and it won't start it's completely done now I I bought a car <laughs> in case I forgot to tell you I did buy a car. I know I talked about a couple of weeks ago the process of buying a car, and I ended, I ended up buying a car. It, it, it's a used car. It's new to me. Um, so the car's dead. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I cannot believe I haven't even had this car a month, and already I'm having an issue with it. So I kind of go into panic mode. I don't know what to do. I, you know know what kind of has to happen but you know in your mind you just I'm not a mechanic what do I know right so I start running down the list of things in my head that I have to do first I have to call and cancel my appointment and try to reschedule and then I have to figure out what to do with my car so I remember when I got the insurance that there was an option for roadside assistance so I call my insurance company after about 45 minutes on the phone and talking to several different people, finally find out that apparently I did not sign up for roadside assistance for my car insurance. So now I'm like, great, uh, okay, I don't know what to do. So then I think, wait a minute, maybe I didn't sign up for the additional cost to the insurance company because I already have it because my car isn't that old and it is still under factory warranty. So dig out that paperwork, give them a call, confirm that, yes, I do have roadside assistance through them. So great. She puts in the order, has someone come to the house to jump the battery. That takes about an hour. Guy comes, hooks up his little portable battery charger. I, less than five minutes, he says to me, okay, turn it over, turn it over, starts right up. Great. And he says, okay, well, um, your car isn't that old and the battery doesn't look that old. Maybe you just left something on. And I think, well, maybe, although that's not something I usually do, but I mean, not completely out of the realm of possibility. So he said, let the car run for about a half an hour. You should be good. Great. I, he leaves. I let the car run. I'm sitting out there, you know, because I don't want to leave a running car. <laughs> so sitting in the car, letting it run, wait about half an hour, shut it off, immediately try to turn it back on, starts right up. And I say, oh, thank you, God. Like that, you know, yes, it set me into a moment of panic, but it's fixed. Very easy fix. I was so relieved. Go back in the house, reschedule my appointment and finish my work day. After work, I decided I would go and do some grocery shopping, get all my stuff together, get back in the car, go to start it, and it's dead again. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. So I go back in the house and I'm like, okay. I call up roadside assistance again, and I am told that because 
um, they don't come out like on what they would consider to be the same call or, you know, the same issue. They won't do it. They're, like they'll send somebody else out and I right away and I can pay one hundred and twenty nine dollars for it or I can wait a week and call again on the same issue and they'll send somebody out again to give me a jump. And I'm like trying to explain to this woman that the only reason things happened the way they did is because I followed his instructions. He's the mechanic. When he tells me I'm fine, what? why would I doubt him? So I'm like mad at myself, you know, because Obviously, I didn't have to listen to him. I could have, as you know, as soon as the car started running, I could have just drove literally around the corner from me to the car shop and had a new battery installed. But instead, I listened to the guy that I thought knew what he was talking about. And now I am stuck in this position. And she said, well, he's not a mechanic. Well, okay. But he has more knowledge about cars than I do. I don't care what his title is. So I was so annoyed. And then she says, well, can't you just have one of your neighbors give you a jump? And then my aggravation turned to humiliation when I had to tell this stranger that I don't have anyone local. I don't know my neighbors well enough to ask them to give me a jump. I mean, I was so embarrassed. And it took me back to that moment that I think I've told this story before, but if you're a new listener, I'll tell it really quickly. When I split from my last relationship and I was moving into a new apartment on my own in a city where I didn't really have anyone, I had to go to U-Haul and, you know, rent a moving truck. So when I was there and I went to pick it up, the little kid, couldn't have been more than 18, behind the counter said, we need an emergency contact. And I was like, okay. So as I always do in every case, my emergency contact, especially for the last four years, is sister number three. I always put her down. Never have any problem with it. But when I went to do it this time and I gave her information, he said to me, we need someone local. And I said, I don't have anybody local. And he looked at me and he went, no one? (laughs) Now, emotionally at that time, I was a little fragile. So it took almost everything in me to not start crying at the U-Haul counter. But I just was barely able to hold it together and said to him, no, I don't have anyone local anymore. And so then he reluctantly took my (laughs) sister's information So when she said that to me, it kind of like brought that all back up for me. So I get off the phone with her. I'm I'm mad at myself for listening to that guy. I'm mad at the guy for giving me, you know, wrong instructions. I'm mad at the woman on the counter for making me feel like a loser. You know, and I'm, I'm, I was like, my head was all over the place. So the next day, what, you know, still trying to figure out what I should do. I realized that can't I just buy one of those portable battery chargers? So I go on Amazon, you know, I'm looking through and because I don't have any idea what I'm doing, I did buy one, but I think I brought 
the wrong kind because the one I bought has to be actively plugged into an electrical outlet and then the current goes through the device and then into the battery. Well, that kind of defeats the purpose of a portable charger, right? I mean, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I bought this thing and I tried to use it. It didn't work, obviously. Again, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I was just kind of stuck. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I've done all I can on my own. I guess I'm going to have to just wait the seven days because there's no way I'm paying $129 for someone to come out for five minutes of work to give me a jump again. I'll just wait and call when I can, you know, when, when they will come back out for free. I am praying at this point that it is just the battery, but honestly, I, I won't know until I take it in. So between the local emergency contact thing and, you know, not having anyone here that can give me a jump and the car battery, I just felt like I had made the wrong decision on everything important for the last few years. And I spent a couple of days going over everything and I got stuck in the what if mode. What if I had stayed in my last relationship? What if I had just given even one of those past dates more of a chance? What if I hadn't moved to Florida? Maybe I shouldn't have bought this car. What if it's a lemon? Just everything. And the deeper I got into the what ifs, the worse I felt. Now, obviously, each issue on its own, not really a big deal. I mean, inconvenient, yes, but not catastrophic. So why was I having such a strong reaction? And it wasn't the only thing that had sent me over the edge in the last week. Like I said, a few days before the car thing happened, JJ and I had a bit of a misunderstanding. Uh, what should have been nothing, I blew up into something that had me crying for an entire day. It triggered something in me from my marriage and my upbringing where I tend to take on the responsibility of whatever goes wrong because blaming myself is kind of what I do. I was so upset that I actually told him I needed some time to sort through my feelings because I knew my reaction was not in proportion to what had actually happened. He had inadvertently triggered me. He didn't mean to, and he apologized, but I couldn't let it go. I berated myself, telling myself I should have known better, and spent the entire day desperately trying to figure out how I could fix it. The next day, he apologized again, and I told him that I appreciated his apology, but I needed some time to process my own emotions. And that's what I did. I knew my reaction was not just because of what had happened between JJ and me. It had opened old wounds that I thought were long healed. Remember a few weeks ago when I said that sometimes I still have irrational reactions, which tells me that maybe I'm not as healed as I thought I was. And like I said, he apologized, and that was good, but it's kind of like if your friend accidentally cuts you. You both know it was an accident, and your friend apologizes profusely. And even though you accept their apology and say, I know you didn't mean to cut me, the apology doesn't magically heal the wound. So 
between the reopening of old wounds, the no local person to help me out, and the car, I was going through a serious crisis of confidence. Have you ever felt this way, where so many things go wrong at once that you not only completely lose confidence in your ability to make the right decision, but you also start to question all the recent decisions you've made that may or may not have contributed to your current circumstances? If you have, you know how scary this feeling is. There's a war going in, going on inside your head where one side says, listen, none of this is really your fault. It's just stuff that happened, bad timing, but you'll get through it. And the other side says, you're a fraud who comes on here every week and tries to help people stay strong, confident, independent. All the while, you can't even handle a few little bumps in the road. I don't think that it's all that uncommon to lose faith or confidence in yourself when things aren't going as you thought they would. That's just life, right? Rarely do things go exactly how we want them to. Instead of getting stuck in the downward spiral of going over every decision you've ever made, there has to be a better way. I found an article on lifehack.org that talked about ways to get your confidence back when you're stuck in a cycle of doubt. It said things like, accept the situation as it is and not how you wished it would be. And then that allows you to adjust your expectations. It said to focus on past successes because the best way to bring your pity party to an end is to remember that there have been times when even though things didn't go perfectly, they turned out fine. And also said to stop berating yourself because your thoughts become things. The more negative self-talk you do, the longer it is going to take for you to get out of your funk. There's no point in continuing to punish yourself. It's not productive and it keeps you stuck. We tend to be harder on ourselves than we are with the people in our lives. I do this often. I spent the week berating myself and feeling more than a little sorry for myself. I kept going back and forth, thinking about the car and did I make the right choice, to thinking about how I don't have anyone local to help me when I need it. Eventually, after a few days that were just straight up not fun, I wondered how I got here. I thought about the last four years and how many things I had gotten through on my own, not that I wanted to. Believe me, if I could have had help, I would have gratefully accepted it. See my tough but tired episode. Everyone knows that a major key to success is first believing in yourself and your ability to get it done, which is easier said than done. I've talked in the past in past episodes about how so many things can be attributed to low self-esteem. The worst part of blaming yourself when things go wrong is that it makes it harder for you to make choices in the future because you get scared it'll happen again. Sometimes, when things go wrong, it has nothing to do with you. Sometimes it's just a mistake. The car battery dying is not something I could have predicted or prevented. Car batteries die. That's just a fact. Regardless of the car I bought, this was going to happen at some point. In my research for this week, all the articles I found pretty much said the same thing. It all starts with believing in yourself. Yeah, we know that already. They say things like, negativity begets negativity. Fake it till you make it. Blah, blah, blah. 
And on top of that, something we're taught when we're trying to break old patterns is to take a look at past behaviors and choices, to take responsibility for whatever you did that may have contributed. And that can be painful. When I look at the stuff that happened this week and how I felt about it and how I was reacting to it, I knew that my reactions were not in proportion to what was actually happening. I mean, yeah, it sucked. But each incident on its own wasn't that big of a deal. So the car battery died. I went without a car for more than six months and I was fine. The world didn't stop. I managed. I adjusted. And yeah, I don't have a local emergency contact. So what? Lots of people don't have someone local. That doesn't mean they don't have people in their lives that care about them. And I mean, let's be honest. Even if my sister was local in an emergency, what could she do? I mean, I love her, but she's not a medical doctor. All they're doing when they get a hold of your emergency contact is letting them know that something happened to someone they know. But I still didn't really understand why I was having such a why me meltdown. The more I thought about it, the more I started to think that maybe the episode I did a couple of weeks ago affected me more than I was willing to admit. I said then that talking about what happened in my marriage is hard for me. And part of that may be because either I'm not as healed as I would like to be, or maybe it healed in a way that wasn't healthy. They say that time heals all wounds, and I guess to some extent, that's true. Eventually, the wound does heal, but that doesn't mean it healed properly. And when that happens, it might require you to reopen the wound. We have a tendency to push down what we don't want to deal with, but when it comes to our emotions, out of sight does not mean out of mind. Just because you aren't currently feeling the emotional effects of your past trauma does not mean it has gone away. Something experts tell us when we're suffering a crisis of confidence is to use the same kind of language on yourself as you would with someone you love. But this isn't easy, especially if you've had a lifetime of negative self-talk. It takes time, patience, and practice. You have to stay on top of your thoughts, feelings, and actions. It requires you to stay present, focusing on the current situation as a singular event and not a total indictment of all of your past decisions. Taken individually, the stuff that happened this last week wasn't that big of a deal, and also nothing that hasn't happened before. So why was I so upset about it? I've definitely had car trouble in the past, and I've dealt with it. And I've had times when I felt lonely or tired of being on my own and wished I had someone physically present in my life who I could turn to when I needed help. Maybe it was the fact that all of those things happened in the same week, or maybe it was that I was still a little raw from the episode from a couple of weeks ago, but I wasn't reacting the way I usually do. Most of the time, I am not a why me person. I tend to be more of a why not me. You know, bad things happen to everyone. I'm not special. I understand that things aren't always going to go my way. Shit happens. And I try not to take it personally because it's not always my fault. 
After the last few years, instead of dwelling on what isn't, I've been able to focus on things happening the way they should, even if that's different from my expectations. And I remind myself that however it works out, it always works out. Getting stuck in the what ifs changes nothing. Just knowing that getting bogged down in self-doubt isn't going to help you isn't enough because self-doubt and negative self-talk are sneaky little bastards. They can sneak in without us even realizing and suddenly we're stuck at the same destructive thought pattern that we worked so hard to break out of. Once the thought train gets going, it's hard to stop. It takes away your confidence. It strips away logic and reasoning, leaving you filled with insecurity. By the end of the week, I had calmed down and I was able to realistically look at what had happened and how I reacted to it. I remember reading an article a while back that said, whenever you hear yourself saying, I can't, that should be a red flag. It said you need to reframe your negative self-talk, changing I can't or I will never be able to, to I'm working on being able to. That's good advice. It's also stuff we all already knew. And anyone with even a little self-awareness could have told you that. The truth is, self-doubt is a human condition and never fully goes away. But over time, with practice, you can recognize when you're in this pattern and break out of it. Maybe you'll even get to the point where you see the pattern before it even starts and you'll be able to prevent it from happening. That's my goal, to be able to see the pattern early so that when things don't go exactly as planned, I can handle it better. We all fail. We've all made some questionable choices because we're human. We fall short of expectations we put on ourselves. We make mistakes. I know the experts say that you just got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and try again. But just as important is to take some time to look at why you made that choice so that when you're once again faced with a situation that didn't go exactly as planned, You don't keep repeating the same behavior of berating and punishing yourself. I mean, what is the point of trying again if you're not going to make some changes? Same behavior, same result. Trying again, forgiving yourself, and showing yourself kindness and grace means you also give yourself another chance to get it right. Last night, when I was thinking about the past week and how I was going to work it into an episode podcast, I got this image in my head, and it was of me whitewater rafting. Now, if you know me at all, and I know you do, you know I would never go whitewater rafting. I mean, for one thing, to quote Jim Gaffigan, I'm more of an indoorsy person. Also, I can't swim. And the entire idea of being on rough waters and a floaty just isn't appealing to me at all. So when I got that image, I laughed. But then I thought, oh, wait, I think I get that. I think I get what this image is trying to tell me. When you're in a raft going through rough waters, it's scary. You know there's an end. The waters will eventually settle. And that's a comforting thought, but you got to get there first. And for that, you need to stay present. You can't focus on how the last bump that was so huge and almost flipped you out of the raft because there might be another one coming up and you have to be ready for it. 
And that's what it's like when you're in the middle of dealing with a tough situation. There is no way to plan for everything that might go wrong, and you're going to mess up sometimes. Restoring confidence in yourself and the choices you make takes time, patience, and practice. And if you're going to take time to go over each and every single failure you've ever had, you might as well also look back on the times when you succeeded. Because I promise you, there are plenty of those too. And after I had that raft analogy and the crisis of confidence was starting to fade, I was able to look back on the events of the week and, you know, more rationally and feel a little proud of myself for getting through it, however messy and painful the getting through it process was. And I realized something else. Me telling JJ that I needed some time to separate my emotions is huge. I think that's the first time I've been able to tell that to anyone. Instead of just pushing aside my emotions and pretending that everything was fine, I told him that I was having a strong reaction and needed to take some time. It reminded me that even though it was a rough week of dealing with decisions, I've also made some progress. And as far as being back on the dating app, at first I thought it might be a knee-jerk reaction to everything that had happened this week. And because I was tired of being this so-called strong, independent woman, you know, who could handle everything on her own. But the truth is, over the last few months, I've been thinking that I would like to try again, learning from my past mistakes, following the advice of that Instagram account that I mentioned earlier, and maybe doing things a little different this time. Will it work? (laughs) I have no idea. But all I can say is, at least I'm still trying. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 148. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, My So-Called Midlife Podcast, and like the Facebook page, My So-Called Midlife Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at My So-Called Midlife Podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen because the second part is the important part. If you have questions, topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, love you. Bye.